0: Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand nice and high, and one will magically appear in your direction from the back. Let's pray. And Genesis chapter 4 is waiting for us. Lord, you've been so good uh, taking us through by, the, by your Spirit, your Word. Lord, that your, your Spirit has been teaching us. In some ways, Lord, we have more questions, a greater hunger uh, to know you, to know more, to understand more of you, more of ourselves, more about the world we live in, more about heaven and eternity and, and sin and atonement and redemption and forgiveness and all these things that uh, we can't find anywhere else, Lord. There's no one else has answers for these things. Only you have the words of eternal life. So Lord, as we open your word, we, uh, we just think about also the, the church around the world this morning. Those that are gathering, not just in Fluvanna County, uh, but all over the world, that we are uh, one body, one family of God, worldwide, one offering, one blood sacrifice, uh, one Christ, one cross for all of us. And Father, we, uh, we recognize the unity we share in that fact. It's in Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, Amen. Genesis chapter 4 is where we will pick up. We left off with um, the first couple having uh, Eve being deceived, Adam knowingly, willingly following her lead. We see uh, marriage troubles begin. Uh, We see God step in and clothe them with animal skins. The, The fig leaves were just not suitable. The work of their own hands, the work of their own imagination... Not suitable to cover them. So God provides animal skins for them. And then he drives them out of the garden. Uh, out, um, so no children born in the garden that we have recorded here. Nothing uh, in terms of that. So chapter 4, verse 1. Now life picks up outside the garden of Eden. Uh, Adam, uh, verse 1 says, Now Adam knew, his, uh, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So the first two kids we have recorded being born, we go from the first couple to the first family. Uh, Eve becomes pregnant. This has never happened before. This is completely new to them. Uh, I can't imagine uh, the experience for them discovering all these things for the first time as Eve begins to put on some weight. As her belly begins to protrude and Adam begins to look at her and like, whoa, what is going on? Honey, you need to do some laps around the garden or something. You're putting on weight. And, and then they feel the, the, the kicking, the legs inside kicking. And, and then the baby is born and Eve experiences all that the curse had said she would. Pain in childbearing. But to give birth to this life. I mean, they must have just been astounded. I know when we brought Jacob home from the hospital, I remember sitting him in the car and just being like looking at this baby going, what do we do with this? You know, I'm completely unprepared for whatever comes next. And this is before Dr. Spock wrote any books. There's no one, she didn't have parents to show her how to breastfeed and how to do all these other things. I mean, this is all new. There's nobody else. So they have to figure out all this child-rearing stuff on their own. And, And interestingly... The Bible says Adam knew his wife, and we know that is a sort of a euphemism or a way to say she, he knew intimately his wife in terms of sexuality, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And it literally means that she, that she acquired a man with the help of, or it's actually that God had created this life in her. And it speaks of when God sort of created the heavens and the earth, and there's, she recognizes, she doesn't say, I have acquired a man from Adam. She says, I acquired a man from the Lord. I think that's really an important distinction, isn't it? Every child is a gift of God. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And and I don't think personally, when you recognize that, that these kids are, they're lent to me for a time. They're on loan from God. God says, I want to create a child or a couple children or many children. And Steve, I'm going to let you uh, raise these couple. And I'm going to let you guys raise these couple. And I'll let you raise these over here. But remember, they're mine. So, and they're a gift. God creates them and we create us in the womb. We learn that Psalm 139 tells us we're fearfully and wonderfully made that God made, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. And so I, I think that I have a great responsibility with my children from the Lord that I, I acquired two wonderful children from the Lord and they're his. And so my job is just to stand in his place and, and, uh, and teach them about their father their heavenly father, and to raise them up to know him, to raise them up in the training and the admission, admonition of the Lord. And she, she recognizes that. I've acquired a man from the Lord. Now this is not just generally speaking. I think clearly, and there'd be no reason to doubt it, in her mind and in Adam's mind, we're ready for the seed of the woman that is going to crush the head of the serpent. So certainly, there would be no reason not to think that this is that one. This is the promised Messiah. Now, Cain's name means acquired or gotten, and that's the representation that they had. They didn't just name based on what was popular at the time, what was trending on Google, you know. What are we going to name him? Uh, they named based on what the circumstances were when the child was born. You know, Eve's name means life, and it had, it had meaning. Our names don't necessarily they have meaning, but we don't always know what they are. But they name very specifically and very purposely. And so when Cain is born, it's tremendous potential. And here he is. And they look at him and like, oh, this is going to be the one. Finally, that wicked, deceitful serpent is going to be dealt with. And this guy is going to take care of him. I would have named him Crusher, right? <clears throat> Bruiser, something like that. Because it said, you know, he's going to, the seed of the woman is going to bruise or crush the head of the serpent. So I would have named him Crusher. But that's just me, you know. This is my son, Crusher. What a handshake he must have, right? I've acquired a man from the Lord. And so, so Cain is mentioned. He is born. We don't know how much time passes between he and his brother Abel. In my family, there's seven years between me and my brother, who's seven years younger than me. I asked my dad, why? I said, Steve, you don't want to know. <laughs> I was such an ornery kid that my parents said, I don't think we can do this again. So they waited seven years to have my brother. And then, of course, after that, they waited ten more years. And then had, I had twi- have twin sisters that are 17 years younger, younger than me. So I don't know what that says about my brother. They waited ten years after him. So, but we don't know how long until Abel is born. But she does bear again, this time his brother Abel. Which uh, uh, means, interestingly, uh, vanity or emptiness... Or wind, which I thought was interesting. And I, I can't say, you know, what were they thinking when he was born? What, why would they name him that? Certainly it's prophetic in a way because his life will be like a vapor. He'll be killed at a very young age. We can assume, we don't know how Cain and Abel, how old they were when all of this went down. But one might assume that they were fairly young, maybe teenagers, maybe not. I don't, I don't know for sure. But maybe they began to see some things in Cain. Maybe they began to see some behaviors, and, and maybe they began to be discouraged because they thought this was going to be the guy, and he was going to crush the head, and and maybe instead they're seeing uh, he's a lot like him. I don't know. Many of you know that uh, being a parent is a challenging thing. So here we have two kids. You know, the, this is the the first family in the Bible. Sin has ended the world, and every kid is raised by sinful parents. Say amen. I mean, every kid is raised by sinful parents. I don't care how perfect you think you are, you got issues. And those issues sometimes we project on and we parent out of, whether it's fears or hurts or whatever. That influences the way we parent. And uh, the, the encouraging thing to me is that I know that no parent is perfect. Now, do we want to do the best job we can parenting our kids? Absolutely. We want to raise them and bring them up to know the Lord you bet. They're kids, they want to know the Lord. Kids, it's amazing, uh, kids love to come to church. The problem is they can't drive. So they got to convince you to get up out of bed because you're tired because Sunday's your only day to sleep in. That's why we have an 11 o'clock service now. You're all the sleeper inners. Now you can come late to, to church and, and it's okay. Uh, but they can't bring themselves here. And so they lo- kids love to be here. They love to come to Jesus. And so I think there's, uh, you know, Even if you don't want to come for yourself, bring your kids. Let them know the Lord. Don't keep them because of laziness or your own personal stuff. Give them a chance to know the Lord. So they have these two kids. uh, I mean, what a perfect, almost perfect environment to raise the kids. There's no peer pressure. There's no peers. There's no internet. No cell phones. No wonder they call it paradise. The, the, The boys, they'd go out and grab a piece of fruit off the tree and break off a stick, and they'd play stickball with an orange and a, a stick and, you know, chase around goats and chase around the deer. And, I mean, what an what a opportunity, what a place to be raised in. None of those influences. They can't say all the other kids are doing it. There's no other kids, just the two of them. And yet, raised by the same parents. And genetically, many would say that they're, they're almost, probably close to identical twins because at that point, no mutations over time. Adam had his genetic makeup. It was, he was created with by God. He takes Eve out of his rib. it takes a rib out of Adam's side. And he builds Eve with the same genetic makeup. Except for somehow inserting a, an X chromosome for her. And then the two boys are born from them. So genetically, very, very close. It's hard to say um, how, what exactly they look like. But very close. And yet the two boys choose radically different directions. They choose different occupations, which is normal and and good, but they also choose radically different directions. And I know, I've seen kids, as I said, I think you want to raise your kids the best you can. I mean, I've got a responsibility to do everything I can to raise them to know the Lord. And don't raise your kids in a hypocritical home. I've, raised, I've, I've talked to people, I'll talk to somebody, that say, Steve, we met this guy and you need to come talk to him. I'm like, okay, why, what's up? He's really against God. I mean, this guy, he hates God, doesn't want to talk about God. And I usually, I'll ask this question. So who is a pastor in his family, his dad or his grandfather? Because oftentimes, there's so much hypocrisy that they see one thing, they see dad one way at church and then dad at, another way at home and they go, I don't want this, this is not what I want. The best thing you can do is live out your Christian life genuinely in front of your children. When you make a mistake, when you blow it, confess that. Be genuine, be honest, be, be humble in their presence. And there, doesn't expect, no one expects you to be perfect. Just repentant. Just honest. And so, this in this first family, the kids raised uh, Adam, knowing what he did caused them to be outside the garden, Raising them to, to know the Lord, no doubt going back to the entrance of the garden to worship, taking his family back there on occasion to offer up sacrifices to the Lord. And these two kids, I've seen kids raised in terrible circumstances. I mean terrible circumstances. Some of you have been raised in, in tremendously dysfunctional homes with all kinds of abuses, alcoholism, you name it. And and many of you have been raised in those conditions. And yet, here you are. Here you are, seeking the Lord. And then I've seen kids raised in... And and I've seen those those same kids raised in those dysfunctional places to go on and and to walk with God and see God redeem those things in their life. That It causes them to start ministries and be involved so that they can help people that grew up like they did. But then you also see kids that have grown up in the Christian home, the Bible is read, it's no hypocrisy, it's genuine, the family doing their best to raise the kids, taking them to church, and, and yet, they reject the Lord. And you go, you know, what what's going on? Because every child, you can't inherit your parents' faith. Cain, Abel, raised in the same condition, same home, same parents, genetically pure, you know, no outside influences, uh, no peer pressure, none of those things, and yet, Both different, they choose different ways. Every child has to choose for themselves whether or not they'll worship the Lord or not. And so Abel, uh, the next verse says, or next part of that verse, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So they choose different professions. Uh, Abel becomes a, a shepherd. He's got a flock of sheep, cares for them. Cain becomes a gardener, an agriculturalist. Tills the ground, takes after his father. And verse 3 says In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. A lot of ink has been used to try to understand and explain what the difference was between these two. Because we want to know, don't we? I mean, what was the difference? Why was Cain's sacrifice or offering uh, not accepted when Abel's was? And there are a lot of things offered. So what I try to do is I'll give you some of the options, let you think it through, but then we'll come back and make some observations for what we do know for sure. Okay, so hang with me here. Some people say that evidently being a shepherd was a more noble uh, profession than being a farmer. But a lot of guys in the Bible were farmers. There's a lot of great shepherds in the Bible. David was a shepherd. Amos was was a shepherd. A lot of great shepherds in the Bible, Joseph and his family. Uh, However, there are kings mentioned that love the soil, love to till the ground. And his dad was a farmer. uh, That was the job God gave Adam to till the ground. So I don't think the difference is just in the job that they had. One of the most popular explanations would be that Abel brought of his flock a blood sacrifice. So he had to actually take a sheep from his flock and kill that sheep and then bring that sheep to the Lord. There was blood involved. And Cain, who brought vegetables, he brought some broccoli and, you know, some kale and some fruit and things, that there was no blood involved. And that they had, God had somehow communicated to them from the garden that blood was necessary for atonement And that this was an atoning sacrifice. And that Abel uh, knew and brought what was right. And Cain ignored that and brought what he wanted. So you have two different religions. The religion of, I'm going to approach God the way he says. And the religion of, I'm going to approach God the way I want. And you could make a case for that. A strong case for that. So I wouldn't say that that is altogether wrong. Um, However, I want you to notice this. Look at the way Cain's offering is described. He just brings an offering of what his profession is. He brings an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So, nothing special about it. He just brings something. But look at the difference in the way Abel's sacrifice is explained. He brought, it doesn't say he just brought of his flock. Could have said that, right? Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of his flock. End of story. But it makes a note that we're meant to see that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. And of the fat, which was the best part. I mean, that. now we're all on these diets and stuff. None of us want to eat the fat. But man, that smells good when it's on the barbecue. And this was the part that, that they would bring as an expression of the best part to the Lord. And so it seems that that difference is, is to be notable. Uh, Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit of a commentary on this. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. So the writer of Hebrews tells us also what's connected with Abel is faith. Abel trusts God. He's coming to God humbly, obediently. He's bringing the best that he has. You know, a lot of people bring just, you know, their leftovers to the Lord. You know, you... Have a, have a church yard sale. I, I've talking, talked to a friend of mine who's involved with the church yard sales that, that happen up at the Catholic churches. You wouldn't believe the junk that people bring to the, for the Lord. You know, well, it's busted. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't work anymore. We can't find all the parts. Hey, I have an idea. Let's give it to the Lord. Someone once said, give God what's right and not what's left. Giving the firstborn would certainly represent faith because I know for our house, I've described to you our fruit trees. We've got cherry trees and apple trees, and we don't get a whole lot of fruit because we don't spray. So when that first apple or that first Asian pear or that first cherry appears in the tree, it's like we cherish it. We have a whole service, you know, like, oh, the cherry, you know, and we, we, we cut it in half and we split it, you know, because we don't know if we're getting any more. <laughs> but to give your first fruits to the Lord is an act of faith because you say, "Lord, it's the first one, and I'm giving it to you, trusting that you will provide for the rest." And so, that Abel gives the first fruits and of the best. You know, David um, said this. David understood this principle that he said, "I don't want to give to the Lord that which costs me nothing." Recognize that The Lord, the Lord deserves something that is sacrificial from me because sacrifice equals love, doesn't it? I, I think. The, the greater sacrifice, the greater love. God so loved the world that he gave his best. He gave his only begotten son. And there's something to that, isn't it? We go, I don't know if God loves me. God gave you the best that he could give you. And so I think that what that shows us, the principle of sacrifice and giving, you know, because a lot of people want to put percentage on oh, Tithing is the way to go. And I always tell people, look, if you make a million dollars a year, and your tithe is $100,000, we would appreciate that. We'll take that. You know, we can use that. But if you can't live on $900,000 a year, then you got problems. Maybe for you, if you make a million a year, maybe for you, giving, sacrificial giving is 50%. What does it take until you feel a little bit? Because a lot of times, we give to the Lord, we don't even feel it. it doesn't It doesn't touch our lives. We give a little bit over here, and then, eh, I'll even, I don't even have to think about it. It doesn't cost me a thing. But then some of you give sacrificially, and some of you, that sacrificial giving is 10 bucks Because you're living on the edge. You don't know where the next paycheck's coming in. You're unemployed, and you're, you're living on the edge. And so giving a dollar, like the widow who gave her, her just two pennies, that was sacrificial. So Abel seems to understand that. I think, I don't think it's about the blood offering. I don't think, I think that the best is just an indication of Abel's faith in God. And here's what I think that the problem is with Cain. I think uh, Proverbs 15, 8, 9 tells us, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The sac- no matter... See, Cain was not an atheist. Cain was a religious man. I don't know how old they are here. For the first time, it seems, maybe Adam had brought the sacrifice year after year after year. Because it says in the process of time, in other words, at the end of a certain appointed time, so there would seem to be a regular time period where they would bring sacrifices and this may be the first time Cain and Abel actually bring their own sacrifices sort of a coming of age thing Uh, so that you know were they 13 14 15 years old I don't know but it seems to be maybe the first time they brought that and and Cain already there's already something in him you know there's already some things going on his heart with respect to his relationship with God and I believe we, we get the first sibling rivalry he already has it out for his brother, that perfect Abel. Huh. You know, you you know, sibling rivalry, don't don't you? You understand that? Now, so it, we also know, you know, uh, John. First John three says that Cain killed his brother, uh, and that he was of the wicked one. That Cain. This is the description of First John. Cain was of the wicked one. So far from being the deliverer, the, the crusher. He was the cohort of Satan. He chose to follow the ways of Satan rather than the ways of the deceiver, ways of the serpent, rather than the ways of God. Although he's still bringing an offering, people that uh, just because you show up at church and you carry your Bible and you go through the motions doesn't mean you know the Lord. And and Jude mentions uh, people in the church. Uh, they speak evil of what they do not know. They're, they're false teachers. They're they're like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves, so they're sinful in the church. And he says, Woe to them, they have gone in the way of Cain. The way of Cain, they followed Cain's footsteps rather than following Christ's footsteps. Rejection of God. Again, although he's bringing a sacrifice, he was a religious man. And, and some say the way of Cain is false religion, approaching God on, on my terms. But here's what I think. I'm going to sum it up with you for the, with this. I gave you Proverbs 15, sacrifice the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Here's what I think is going on. Here's what I think is the difference between Abel and Cain. Psalm 51, For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it, David says. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. I don't care if it's fruit and veggies, or a lamb. I think the difference is, is Abel came humbly. Abel came with a contrite heart, a broken heart. He understood day after day that he chose to do the wrong thing. You know, he knew what was right. He would do wrong. He'd bring his sacrifice to the Lord in brokenness and say, Lord, forgive me. You know, here's, again, I'm offering this lamb to you. I'm offering this to you. Uh, Lord, please receive it and, don't know what that would look like. But I think that's the problem with Cain. I think it's an inside problem, don't you? I think uh, Cain, part of what's mentioned in Jude, is that they, uh, they don't have respect for authority, no respect for God. Uh, and I think that, so that, that's my opinion. You guys can do with it what you will. But the, it's clear, they both bring sacrifices. And somehow, you know, the family's all around, the altar's there at the entrance to the Garden of Eden. They lay the sacrifices on the altar, dad there, mom there, proud of their boys, uh, fire comes down. We don't know how the Lord demonstrated an acceptance of one sacrifice and a rejection of the other. Only thing we can say, biblically, is that oftentimes, God would accept the sacrifice fire coming down and, and consuming it. We see that in the, in the book, of, uh, in, uh, book of Judges. Uh, we see that with um, Mount Carmel, Elijah, on Mount Carmel and the, the sacrifices, coming down, the fire coming down from heaven. So that's the only way we can picture it. So there's, the, there's Abel's offering the sheep that he had to kill himself, laid on the altar, and fire comes down and consumes it. And all the eyes turn to Cain's offering. And it's silent. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Probably felt like time was passing so slowly. And Cain had come, Cain had come, see, it's easy to fool people. But it's not easy to fool God. You can't fool God. So God knew what was already in Cain's heart. But nobody else maybe knew that. So as they wait, nothing happens. And at some point, uh, what Cain thought, he had come excited. He had come upbeat. God's going to, I worked hard for this. This is my, my offer. I'm bringing it with my own hands. I, I, I tilled the ground. Look at these vegetables, man. This pumpkin is huge, you know. Like a pumpkin contest winner. Can you imagine the size of the fruit that was in the garden? Or it was at that time. I mean, huge things to bring. And Cain was probably so proud of himself, so proud of what he was bringing. But God doesn't accept it. It's a condition of the heart. And at some point, they turned around and they left. And, and Cain got really mad, didn't he? That's what it says next. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Which means he had come upbeat and happy. And his countenance his face, his demeanor changed. He wasn't fooling God. Now you think, it could have happened that there's Abel's sacrifice burnt up and there's Cain and his sacrifice and the fire comes down except for burning up. doesn't burn up the sacrifice, burns up Cain himself. Whew, there goes brother. Could have, God could have made him a crispy critter right there. But he doesn't. He invites Cain into a conversation. Look at verse 6. So the Lord directly... Not Adam speaking to Cain, not Eve speaking to Cain. You know, I can imagine Adam's son. What's the problem? What, what, what happened? But it's the Lord that said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Cain, what's going on? What? Cain must have been like, you tell me, God. But Cain already knew. He didn't have to ask God, you tell. I, was, I thought this was right. Cain knew somehow. Listen to what it says next. Why why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? I think Cain knew exactly what God meant. I think Cain knew exactly what was missing. And God tells him, Cain, if you just do what's right, you'll be accepted. And that's a great word for us here this morning. Because the tendency is, you know, Abel represented light. Abel represented righteousness. And sometimes, rather than doing what's right, we just want to get mad at at all the other people that are doing what's right because we're doing wrong. You've experienced that. You get saved. You start changing your life. God starts changing your life. You quit drinking. You quit smoking. You quit partying. You quit doing those things. uh, And and all of a sudden, your friends are like, well, who do you think you are? All of a sudden, you're Mr. Bible Thumper going to that church. You even go Wednesday nights. You're, you're, you become ridiculous. And, and so rather than saying, hey, hey, why don't you guys do it? Why don't you follow the Lord too? Rather than doing that, they just want to run you down because light always exposes darkness. And people, when you say, what I used to do was wrong, and now I want to do what's right, which is just, what you've just said is, you're doing what's wrong, and people don't like that. And that's the way of Cain. The way of Cain is the way of Darkness. Do you know why they crucified Jesus? I mean, other than for our sins, we know that. Envy, jealousy. That's why they crucified Jesus on a human level. They were jealous. It says it right there in the Gospels. They crucified him because of envy. Rather than Jesus, rather than humbling themselves and following Jesus, accepting him as the Messiah, they wanted to snuff him out, get rid of him. Look, if you're doing what's right and you're being persecuted for it, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, because darkness will see it and try to snuff you out because you represent everything uh, about righteousness to them. And, and so we, we experience that, and that's the, uh, that's the issue with Cain. Cain, look, it's not about Abel. God didn't have to take anything away from Abel. There's nothing to do with Abel. Cain, this is all about me and you. It's not about your parents. It's not about your friends. It's not about the church you used to go to. It's not about anything like that. There's no other religion at this point. There's only God and Cain, period. No confusion. It's simple, right? There's no, well, there's so many roads. I don't know. How do I know which one to take? There's one road. Cain, or you want to get on it or you want to get off of it? And God offers him the choice. Cain, you can choose today to do what's right, and I'll accept you. He doesn't say, Cain, you've got to be perfect. He says, Cain, you can choose to do what's right. Now, again, I can't say exactly what that meant. But Cain knew. For us, we know what that means. We know that there's only one way to be saved. And that's through Jesus Christ. And so you can say, well, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to come this way. I'm going to come that way. Jesus said, I am the way. There's two roads. One leads to life. One leads to death. There's two doors. One's real big and wide. And lots of people going through, through it. And there's the other door that's small and narrow. And very few find it. It's the way of grace. It's the way of God's gift, not the way of my works, not the way of my decision uh, to approach God a certain way with my, you know, all that I've done. If you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, be careful. Sin lies the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it or have dominion over it. Cain, there's a big choice you have to make. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody here this morning. It's a big choice you have to make. God is saying to you, I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your your nationality is. I don't care what your economic issue is. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care about any of those things. That today, you can choose Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can be accepted. Ephesians chapter 1 says, you are, we are, I am accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted. And that's what people want. They want to be accepted, don't they? People want to be, they're desperate to be accepted. I mean, they'll spend all kinds of money on labels just to be accepted. All kinds of money on fashion just to be accepted. And God says, no no questions. If you do what's right, you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll be accepted. I'm not going to run you off, run your way. But if not, there's another force at work in the world. Sin. Satan. Who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. And he is a devourer, is he not? Anybody know someone that's got devoured? Are getting devoured right now? See, God tells, tells Cain, be careful. Sin is right there, ready to pounce on you. Ready to destroy you. Ready to eat you up and spit you out. And I've seen it. It's terrible to watch when you know there's a choice. But Cain, you should rule over it. You have to have dominion over it. And Cain, so Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So Cain was unsuccessful at managing his own sin problem. Just as you, just as I, am unsuccessful at managing my own sin problem. If I hey Look, if you could have gotten straight, gotten off drugs or whatever it is by yourself, you'd have done it by now. You need help. By the Spirit we put the death of deeds of the body. That by the Spirit we exercise self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not my ability to control myself. The fruit of the Spirit, self-control, is now the Spirit is controlling myself. People do crazy stuff. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Man, some of you guys, uh, maybe you've had a history with drinking. It alters your personality. It alters the way you behave. It it blocks your inhibitions, and you do stuff. I was a bouncer in bars for many, many years, and I love doing it because... I didn't spend my money, waste my money on that stuff. I got to sit at the door and watch other people be stupid with their money. And I'd watch, man, you know, people that should know better. I worked in Richmond, and Richmond police officers are there, climbing out the window, standing on the, the awning. I'm like, what are you doing? Get in here. Inhibition's gone. Alcohol does crazy things to people's minds. In that same way, when the Spirit of God begins to control you, you do crazy things, like... Go to some foreign place for a mission trip. I mean, we used to, I remember when we first started, you know, with Calvary Chapel, uh, we would go Sunday nights, Calvary Chapel and Louisa had a Sunday night Bible study. And we'd all meet, we'd cram in this car, drive on up to Louisa for a Bible study. It's like, man, you know, there's people cramming a car, drive to the next party. You know, go on to the party, go on to the party, go on to the party. And I'm thinking, here, look at us. You know, we're grown men, and here we are, piling the car to go to a Bible study. And excited about it, you know. Like, wow, has God changed our lives. I mean, that's awesome. You start to do crazy things like love people, like forgive people, like God starts to fill your heart with joy, like God starts to bring to life things that have been dead in your life for years. And you find yourself, that's the Spirit controlling my life. Cain didn't have that. So Cain lures his brother. They talk, hey, Abel, how you doing? Meanwhile, hating him in his heart, First John says, This is the message you have from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works, Cain's works, were evil, and his brothers were righteous. That's why he killed Abel. Because Abel represented righteousness. And he he highlighted Cain's unrighteousness. And Cain thought, if I just snuff him out, everything will be okay. But it was not okay. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord said to Cain... Where is Abel, your brother? As if uh, God didn't know, getting, getting Cain into the place of confession. Uh, where's, your, where's your brother? And look what Cain says. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The word for a shepherd. Look, God, Cain, uh, Abel is the shepherd, not me. You want to talk about shepherd? you want to talk about your brother's keeper, you ask, you ask Abel. I don't know where he is. A flat out lie. You don't get there overnight. You, your heart doesn't get that hard overnight. So we're not talking about like, you know, Cain comes to sacrifice and it's just all of a sudden he slips up, he makes a dumb mistake. This is a lifetime of brewing and he's so, he's so callous toward God, he thinks he can lie to God. I don't know where he is. He murdered him. But still, the mind has this way of justifying. And I mean, it's amazing how easy it can be to lie, isn't it? how easily we can rattle off a lie for our own benefit. I don't know where he is it, Was it my job to watch him? I'm not his shepherd. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and ba- vagabond, you shall be, on the earth. And so Cain receives a curse from God. He's, he gets uh, exiled from the presence of the Lord. We're going to leave off there. And what I'm going to have you do is uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 5 next week. So what I want you to do is spend uh, some time this week rereading that story and go ahead and you read those next verses. You'll see the first polygamy coming up in, at the end of chapter 4. You'll see that those people were not cavemen. Dragging each other around by the hair with clubs and grunting. They were artisans. They were blacksmiths and musicians. They were engineers. And, and you'll read that in chapter 4 as well. Uh, so I'm going to leave it to you to read uh, the rest of that. We'll pick up in chapter 5. And so I just want to offer as a, I invite the praise team to come up. Keep, bring your unsaved friends. Because we're gonna, week after week we're going to offer people opportunity to know the Lord. To get out of the way of Cain. The way of human religion, the way of uh, lack of faith in God, the way of hypocrisy, all of those things. And I want to invite you, if if the Lord is touching your heart this morning and you're hearing what's being said and you're going, man, I'm in the way of Cain, that's me. That's me. Then I want to invite you to uh, choose a different way this morning. Choose this day whom you will serve. And I'll be sitting on a step over here. Praise the Lord I made it through without coughing all over you guys. Um... It's just one of those choices, you know. I want to walk in the way of Abel. I want to walk in the way of Christ. Uh, and God invites you by His grace. By His grace. Not by your goodness, your works. We're, we're not talking about, well, I'll get perfect and then I'll come to God. It's, no, no, you'll never get perfect and then come to God. It'll never happen. You come to God now and He perfects you. You come to God broken and He fixes. You come to God lost and And he finds. He's been searching for you. That's why you're here. So I'm going to sit over there. Let's stand. I'll pray. And then we'll sing a closing song.